up your Bibles tonight. We're going to do something different. Um, um, I had prepared not, I had planned on not teaching Thessalonians when I came back because I wouldn't have had the proper time to, to study. And so um, I, I've got this message that I, that's really, uh, as I went through it again today, it really spoke to me. So I want you to take your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 10. And we're going to concentrate on verse 9, really, 9 and 10. And it's verses that you've heard quite often, I believe. And you, you probably know them once we, once we begin to read them. You'll pr- probably even be able to quote them uh, as I read them on. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I don't know that I have a lot to say tonight, but I hope that it is used of God to help us and to be a blessing to us. In verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, laying aside all malice. Now, the word therefore is, is because of what Peter mentioned in chapter 1. And so he, 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 said, he spoke those things in chapter 1. He said, okay, because of what I've just said to you, here's what he's saying. Lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. And then as newborn babes, we are to desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, that he is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scriptures... And then he quotes from the Old Testament. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, well, Peter says, he's the stone which the builders rejected and has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed but you talking about believers are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people navy i I like it because he calls them calls us peculiar people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. What, What was Peter saying there? Peter's basically saying, listen, put away out of your heart, out of your life, anything that's going to hinder your spiritual growth. The way you talk, maybe things that we do, whatever will hinder you and I from growing spiritually, just get rid of it. Why? So that you can desire the Word of God like a newborn baby desires mother's milk. So that you become strong and that you grow spiritually in your life. You and I, as we get older, we realize something. There's always going to be something that's tempting us to take the place of something better in our life. 
And what Peter's saying here is we need to get rid of those things that are tempting us not to fill our bellies spiritually with the Word of God. Because what he's equating is he's equating our growth and our life and our service. He's connecting that to our connection with God's Word. And I've told you, if you've been in our church long at all, I've, I'm constantly on us about reading and studying and, and getting into the Word of God because we are what we eat spiritually. And as we are seeking God's Word, we grow and become what we, we are to be in Christ. And that's what Peter's saying. So he's saying all of that. So when deceit or hypocrisy or jealousy or unkind words are present in our life, we lose our appetite for God's Word. Jesus is precious and wonderful. And when the believer stops feeding on God's Word, we stop seeing that He is those things. When I first read that, when I first heard that from a commentator, I was like, all right, I'm not so sure. But now think about it. How many people have I watched over the years and decades of being a Christian that, you know, they're strong in the Lord and they're serving one day and you just think, wow, what a wonderful person of God. And yet then you just don't see them anymore. And they walk away and they disappear or whatever. And, and you know, as I've counseled with believers who've done that, and in my own life I've done that, when I've counseled with believers, you know what they always inevitably say? That there was a connection to their sliding away from the Lord to the sliding first away from the Word of God. And as we pull away from that Word of God and, and you know, we can easily slide away from the Lord. And I, I want to encourage you something. There will be times when your time in God's Word might be cold and mundane. I just encourage you to continue with it. But when you know that it's like that, you talk to the Lord about that. And, and, and don't just say, I don't feel like reading it and just walk away from it. You know when you are getting cold, don't give in to the coldness. You've got to know that once you begin to walk away from that word, you're, 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 you're coining a phrase of a person that I know, you're, you're getting on a very slippery slope and, and you could slide away. And Peter's saying, don't do that. He's saying to you, you are to put everything out of your life that will hinder you from the word of God. You are to remember that God, that Christ is precious and he's wonderful. And you and I are to desire God's word like a baby desires the mother's milk so that he will grow thereby. Believers come to Christ in a close, habitual manner, that's what he's talking about as living stones. It, our faith in the Lord, our relationship with Christ, our, our relationship as brothers and sisters in Jesus, we're not a bunch of just individual people living our life the way we feel like it to please our own selves. We are a bunch of living stones. And we, when we've been saved by Christ, he's our chief cornerstone, right? But what, the, what are we? We're also living stones. Peter says, you are being built right up next to him and on top of him and together with him as a body of Christ. This is a picture of our relationship of how it should be as believers in the Lord and as we are towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be close and habitual in our relationship because we are living stones. Christ is our life giver. 
We are a spiritual building able to approach God and offer sacrifices that please the Lord and please Christ. Yet the world has rejected him because they, he is not what they wanted. And they stumble against the gospel and they stumble against the truth and they are disobedient to God's word. And Peter gives a picture of two people here. Those who've heard the word of God, accepted it, and received Christ as Savior, they are now living stones, habitual in relationship with the Lord, habitual in relationship with each other, and then there are those others who were disobedient to God's word, and they stumbled at it, and they went away. Now, what Peter's telling us here in, in, our, in, our, in our text that I want to key on in verse 9, he's telling us what we are. We are different. We are very different than what we were before Christ. And we are very different to the unsaved world. But the difference in, in us is not our color, our race, our gender, or our religion, or anything like that. The difference between us and everyone else is simply our belief in God's word and their disbelief in God's word. And in verse 8 it says that he became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumbled being disobedient to the word. It is what is done with God's word that is so important. Believing the word of God about Christ and what he's done fundamentally changes who we are, does it not? It it, it changes completely everything that we are. So I have a question for you. Who are we? Who are we? And we could probably spend a lot of time tonight taking descriptions of who we are. But let us look as to what Peter, through the Holy Spirit, said who we are. Because to understand who we are, we know what we are. And we know what we are to be doing with our life. Oftentimes people ask me, you know, what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And as I look at this verse, verse 9, I find the answer. It might not be what you and I think. You know, it might not be, you know, I know what the question is when people say, what's God's will for my life? They want to know exactly, specifically, the very thing that God wants them to be doing. But my pastor many years ago said, in order to know God's will for you tomorrow as you know what you're supposed to be doing with your life, in order to know that, just do what you know to do today, what God has told you to do today, what God's will for your life is today. If you do what God wants you to do today, it leads you to what God wants you to do with your life tomorrow. It, that made quite good sense to me. So I want to look at tonight quickly might end very early, but I quickly want to look at who we are in Christ. In verse 9, it says, but ye are, you are, talking about those who believe it, believed God's word. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. What's that mean? What does it mean in, in the NLT, it paraphrases it like this. But you are not like that, those who have not believed God's word. You are a chosen people. You are, a, you are royal priests, 
a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, he tells you what we are to do, which I'll get to at the end. So just let me quickly tell you what we are. You know, I love that verse. I hear it all the time quoted by people. Man, we are a chosen generation. We are a holy nation. We are royal priests. We are peculiar people in God's eyes. And we take that and we wear it almost like a badge. But man, Roy, it's more than a badge, brother. It is more than just a description of like, okay, God saved you and now you are this. You're his chosen generation. You're his holy nation. You're his peculiar people. You're his royal priesthood. Man, it's so much deeper more than that. Don't don't we as believers in Christ want to know what God has called us to do? Man, don't we want to know that, that, like when I was in the army, I was a U.S. soldier. I was a United States soldier. I took great pride in that. Took great pride in the wearing of my uniform. You know, we, we, we wore things called BDUs. I don't know what you wear now, Ariel. I have no idea what the name of them are now. But BDU stood for Battle Dress Uniform. And it was the green camouflaged thing. And those, those were our work clothes. But you know what we all did when, when I got to my unit? And, and, and you know, you, you would think wearing work clothes like that, yeah, you just pull them on, you go to work. We would take those bad boys to the dry cleaner, have them starched, and pressed, ironed with crisp edges. Remember, I would go pick them up at the cleaners, and when I put them on, you'd, they'd make a funny noise. They'd make a because it was ripping all that starch. I don't know if that's how yours will be, but ripping that starch apart. I took great pride because not only was I a U.S. soldier and I wore that uniform, it had a responsibility to it. You know what the responsibility was? I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And you just took that oath about a month or so ago. I'll never forget the day, September, September 5th or 3rd. Okay, I, won't forget, I forget the date, but I see the day in my eyes. I was standing before my captain and the first sergeant of that unit, and they both administered the, the, the oath as a soldier to me that day when I, when I pledged my allegiance to that. I'll never forget that. It meant something because it wasn't only that I was called a U.S. soldier. It had a responsibility to it. You know what Peter's telling you and I here? You, he is telling us that we are uh, this chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. But what he's actually saying to you is, yes, you are this, But there's a great responsibility that comes with these titles. They're just not names. Number one, and and I don't have a lot of flowery words or stories or illustrations to tell you about each one. I just want to give them to you. Maybe jot some notes down and look at them later as you read the, the text in 1 Peter, maybe on your own. But we are a chosen generation. There's two words there. There's the word chosen and generation. And we know what chosen means. It means select. It means to have a a favorite in some ways. But it it means to have picked, to have selected. And that word generation, it it means a race or a body with common life and descent. Do you know what Peter is saying to you? Those who have believed God's word, trusted Christ as Savior, he's saying that you 
are a chosen generation. You are a select race of people. You are a called out group of people. You belong to the same genetic stock. Do you know I was thinking about that? Do you know we, we joke about it sometimes and I call Roy my brother, but we are brothers. You know, we are family. We are the, of the same genetic stock, spiritually speaking. Because the Bible says that we are a chosen generation because of having believed the Word of God about Christ. But see, this chosen generation term means more... This says to me more about a description of who we are in Christ and not how we became a believer in Christ. See, some would say, oh, see right there? That's election. That's Calvinism. That's predestination. You know, God selected you from way past when. There's probably some of that thought there, but that's not the emphasis of what Peter's trying to express to you. What he's trying to express is that this is a description of who we are in Christ not how we became a Christian. And the clear distinction in this text is the fact that we are believing people. We are this chosen generation. Now listen, what is the responsibility of being a chosen generation, a chosen people, a family, a member of the same genetic stock? What's the responsibility attached to that? Well, think about Israel. When you talk about a chosen people, that usually applied to the nation of Israel, right? They were God's chosen people. But now Peter is using that term for both Jewish and Gentile people who have believed. And there was a purpose in Israel being a chosen people. What was Israel's purpose as a nation? Anybody? What, what, specifically speaking, what was the purpose of Israel as a people? Anybody? To show forth God. To show God to the, to the heathen people. To show God to the world. To be a representative of God to the world around them. That's why they were a chosen people. Not just so that God could bless them and keep them and give them Mount Zion and all that. God's purpose wasn't just to have that small group of people as his kingdom. God's purpose in having them as a chosen people was so that they could show forth God to the world. Now, Peter is saying that you and I, Jew or Gentile, because we've believed the word of God, accepted his son, that we are a chosen people. In other words, now the responsibility once solely trusted to the nation of Israel has now, during the age of grace, been given to the church. So when you hear the term chosen generation, do you know what that really means? We are a we are a purposed body of Christ. We have a reason to exist. We have a reason to, to move forward. We have a purpose in our life. You know what it is? It is to continue 
what the purpose of Israel was. To show forth God. Our purpose is to show forth God. That's why we're here. That's why our children are here. That's why you and I are here. That's why this church is here. That's why we are to live for Christ so that others would see what God is doing in our life so that they might think, I want what they have. Would you please tell me about what has changed in your life? Can you tell me about what's made this difference? Tomorrow, I'm having breakfast with a young man who wrote me today and basically said, I, I, I'm broken, I'm sad, I've never been to the depths that I have been, I don't know what to do with my life, I, it's over. The, man, the young man is utterly without hope. But what has he seen? He's seen several people in our church and their lives and how they've been changed. And he wants to know and understand what has made the difference. He's hopeless, but he's now maybe to the point we can share true hope with him. Do you know what our purpose is? It's because it's that. And Peter says, you are that chosen generation. Number two, you're a royal priesthood. Do you understand? That should make us shout. Listen, in the Old Testament, the Israelites needed a priest to connect them, the people of God, to God, right? The priest had to take the offerings to the tabernacle or the temple. The priest had to offer the blood. The priest had to wash himself before he went into the Holy of Holies to prepare himself so that he could be in the presence of God, so that he could mediate for the people of God. They, they would bring their offerings, and the priests would sacrifice their offerings. They needed a priest. But you know what Peter's now saying? You and I are the priest. See, listen, Old Testament people needed that priest to go into the presence of God. But believers as the priesthood go themselves into the presence of God. You ever read Hebrews 10, 19? Some really sweet verses. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new in living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Having a high priest over the house of God, therefore let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the, an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And let us consider one another to provoke each other unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more ye and, and you see the day approaching. What does it mean to be called a royal priesthood? You know what it means? It means to live as priests in the temple. Do you get that? What are we? You and I are to live as priests in the temple. Holy, consecrated, separated unto God. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was, I was studying this and reading it. And, and you know, God wanted His people, Israel, to become that kingdom of priests. To be a spiritual influence for Christ, for God, for godliness. And that's exactly what it tells us in Romans 12.1. See, we don't carry these things just as titles. They have a purpose behind them. That chosen generation, we're to be living out for God. We are to be that, that, 
that family of God, that people of God that proclaim Christ to the world. And as a royal priesthood, we don't need another priest, Roy, to take us to God. We are priests ourselves who live in the temple. We are already in God's presence. We are living right there before the Lord. And Romans 12 says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Listen, so as priests, we are to give our bodies to God because of all that he has done for us. We are to be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he would find acceptable. And this is the true way in which we are to worship him. So when we are called the royal priesthood, there's three thoughts I'd like to give you. Number one, we are able, as that priesthood, to enter into his presence on our own because of the blood of Christ. Number two, as royal priests, not only are we able to enter his presence, we are able to live in his presence. You know that priest had to leave the temple? We don't. There's never a time that we have to leave the presence of God. See, in the Old Testament, where did the presence of God stay? Temple, tabernacle, Ark of the Covenant. When, when Israel marched through the wilderness, they, they followed the Ark of the Covenant. When they went across the Jordan River to conquer the Canaan land and to go fight Jericho and Ai and all those other places, what did, what did God tell Moses to tell Joshua? He said, look, Follow the ark. Why? Because that's where the presence of God is. But now as believers in Christ, we don't need that. Do you know why? Because we can live all the time in his presence. And the third thing, what are we to do as royal priesthood? Remember what the priests did? They were the ones who would take man and bring them to God. In Christ, he's our mediator, has made us priests. What do we do? We enter his presence we live in his presence. But brothers and sisters, guess we are to bring others into his presence as priests. That's what we're to do. Our life is not to be lived just for our own satisfaction. But we are to live so that others can come to Christ. Number three, he says we are a holy nation. Now, if you look at this, the word nation is the translation of the Greek word ethnos which means a multitude of people of the same nature it's very similar to the chosen chosen generation the word holy though in the greek means to be set apart for the service of the deity so what does it mean to be a holy nation it means to be a multitude of people of the same nature christ's nature set apart for the service of god do you know what I really think? I think too many of us Christians live too individualistically. I think we live so separated from each other. And we were talking about this with the Harrisons over the weekend. You know what? There are so many denominations and denominations within the denominations. Let's take Baptists, for instance. You got regular Baptists, greater Baptists, independent Baptists. You got fundamental Baptists. You got independent fundamental Baptists. You've got independent fundamental I hate everybody else kind of Baptists. You've got so many different separations of Baptists. But, but what the problem is, we fight so much amongst ourselves that we've separated it so far down 
that we are not doing what we've been called to do. And we've been called to be a holy nation. Do you know what that means? It means a multitude of people of the same nature set apart for the service of God. You know what? One day, heaven is going to be the most miserable place in the world. Do you know why? Because a bunch of Christians from America are going to meet up with a bunch of Christians from Africa, Roy. And then fuddy-duddies from America, maybe, they're going to see those wild and crazy people from Africa. And they're going to like, man, we can't worship like them. Is that going to happen? No way. Do you know what's going to happen? We are going to be of one purpose, of one mind, of one goal, of one people when we get to heaven but we waste so much of our time here on this earth not being that people. Now granted, I'm not for being ecumenical. I'm not for watering down the gospel or the word of God and compromising truth. But, all, but if you are just a little bit different in maybe how you do something, but you still believe the same basic principles of truth that I do, then we should stop fighting about our differences or our personality conflicts or the things that we don't necessarily do as good as we should, but we should key on the fact we all love Christ and we want to see people come to the Savior. That's what being a holy nation is. And Peter's quoting an Old Testament text from Exodus 19. I won't quote it to you, but it just talks about and reiterates the fact that God's people are to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and, and separated in the holiness unto God. Here's what Israel was to be. Israel was called to be uniquely holy. That means to be of moral purity. And therefore, they were to reveal a holy God to a fallen people. And what Peter is saying is this. You and I, in the New Testament era, in the age of grace, we are a uniquely holy people. And therefore, we are to reveal a holy God to a fallen world. I've, I've come to the conclusion, as, as I've ministered for a while, and, I, and, and, and Lord, hopefully, Lord willing, growing in my faith, that I have to be less about what I like and more about what Christ wants. You know, I get so tired of fighting over songs and music or the color of the pew cushions. I'm just not saying that I fight over these things with people. I'm just saying that that, that is an illustration. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of fighting about personality things or about, about preferences. And I just want to get on with the gospel of Christ and be that holy nation. Be that chosen generation. Be that royal priesthood that God's called us to be. And then the last thing God, Peter has told us that we are, he says that we're a peculiar people. Years ago, I heard a sermon about being a peculiar people. And he preached the whole sermon about being a strange one for God. That that word peculiar meant to be a strange one. But as I've studied out, you know what it actually means? That word peculiar means ownership. 
And what Peter is saying is, what you are is this. Stephen, you're God's. You belong to Him. See, that word peculiar, that Greek word, it, it actually means to make around. You get it? Like a circle. You saw I just drew a circle. It means to make something and then surround it in a circle. So you take something like this bag and then you put around a circle around it. You know what you're saying? That's mine. Belongs to me. It is my possession. And that Greek word peculiar means that you've created something and that you've put a circle around it and that you've claimed ownership over that thing. You know what the Lord God has done through Jesus Christ? He has created you a new creation. And now what he's done, he's put a circle around you and said, you are mine. You belong to me. Roy, we don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to this church. We don't belong to other people. We belong to God. And therefore, we are under his marching orders. We are under his command. We are under his leadership. We are under his direction. And you know what he said? He said, go out into the world and make disciples of them. He said, go and preach the gospel to the nations. You know what he said? He said, love the brethren. He said, he said if someone asks you to go a mile, you go with them too. If someone asks you to have a, a jacket, you give them your cloak. If someone smacks you, you in a loving kind of way, you turn your face and say, I'll take that for the gospel. You know, that's what I think it means to turn the other cheek. I think it means to take it for the gospel. Sometimes you and I, as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a, a, a peculiar people, you know what it means? It means we to put ourselves less for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know why Peter gave us all these thoughts? He sums it up in the end of verse 9. He says, in verse 9 in the latter half, that you, should be, that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Can someone... Here, let me read something to you real quick. And, and I'm done. I'll close with this. In our verse, Peter says, but you are a chosen generation... You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. And you've been made that so that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You're not those things to satisfy yourself. You're not those things to, to try to get fame and fortune for yourself. You're not those things to do anything for yourself. You are those things for one sole purpose, to show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. You know what that means? To show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness? That means we are those things so that we can proclaim the goodness, the excellency, the wonderful qualities and virtues of our God who has called us out of darkness and saved us through the, through the atonement of His Son, Jesus Christ. We, in closing, are this. We are not, we are not living for ourselves. 
When Peter says that we are to put everything out of our life that takes us from feeding on God's Word so that we can grow, then he says you do that because you are the chosen generation, a holy nation, a, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. And the purpose in all of those descriptions are simply this, that we are a purposed body. We are a body of Christ with a purpose. We have continual access to the Lord to live a holy and separated life. We belong to God. We are in His ownership. And the sole purpose of our life is to show forth Him. That's what we're to do. To show forth Christ. And then our text again says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, at some point in time, you were not a people, but now you are God's people because of the blood of Christ. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How did all that happen? Happen? It happened because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved. It happened because someone told you the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit worked in your heart and you accepted the truth of it and then you became that chosen generation, a purposed body of Christ. You became a holy nation, a separated people of God. You became a royal priesthood, able to enter into the very presence of God and live in the presence of God in order to bring people to the presence of God. In all of that, in all of that, you are not your own. You belong to God. You are that peculiar people so that you could simply show forth who God is to this world. You want a purpose in life? That. You want to know what God wants you, you want to know the will of God for your life? Start living that out in any way you can, the best way you can, doing only what you know to do. And as you live out the purpose of God in your life in showing forth Him to the world, you will be doing what God wants you to do. And I believe He will lead you to what He has for you each and every single day. Amen? Father, bless your word, I pray. Bless your people, I pray even more through the teaching of your word and the impact of your word in our hearts. Lord God, help us, help me not to live for myself, but help me to live for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.